in Hebrews chapter 2. salvation. 
And the world lives in a constant fear. In other words, here it puts them in a state of bondage. And, and, and part of that driving fear without Christ or without trusting Christ, some of this can apply to a saved person too if they're just ignoring Christ and ignoring the Holy Spirit and, and living their life their own way. Some of the same effects are there. That, that we live, we're so driven in what we do in this world, in, in this flesh, and, and, and what's on the outward. Um, I heard a phrase, I'm working on a, uh, um, possibly some study to help clarify it, but the, the, the idea, it, some of it's doctrine, some of it's how we view salvation, some of it's how we get along in our life, some of it proves the wickedness of this world, some of it has to do with our relationships, and, Anyway, we live in a world that is so fleshly driven that sadly it gets it crept into our churches over the years. And, and, and what I mean by that is if we think that we're trying to fill a void in our life that only God can fill. First of all, salvation, somebody not saved, that they don't even know where to go. Somebody saved, if they we just go on living our life our own way and 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 and, and don't let God have his way and don't let our cares go to Christ and get our fulfillment in Christ and, and, and focus on God. We're kind of living the same way. And then we start living, well, if we just do this, we'll have more. If we become either more successful or maybe it's mine or some action, whatever it is. And, and, and what should be inward, what should be a, a, a relationship with God, that void that only God can help us in our life, the cares and but there's some things regarding peace and our joy and our mind and our, our, our wisdom and our thinking that only God can give us. And we start looking on the flesh and we transfer that idea out to we expect somebody else or a person or the world or the system or a job or something to fulfill that void that only Christ can fill. And we start living in fear because we know something's wrong. We're looking to the wrong place, and fear makes us start making improper decisions because, hey, I, I want this, I need this, or this void, this hole, this void in my life, and I'm trying to find a place to fill it, and I'm so afraid that I'll never find it, we start searching everywhere except for where we should. And fear makes us do all kinds of things, and we live in a bondage because we're, we're oppressed by that fear instead of living the way God wants us to live. We need to be cautious of that. Let's go to a couple examples here. Let's go over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we're going to look at a couple examples of this type of fear. So as we have um, Christ doing His miracles and Christ is healing people and... and uh, um, 11, um, I better go to this one so I can see it. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 18. And there, uh, Jesus is teaching and talking in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple. Of course, this is the account where Jesus threw out the money changers. They were making a profit of what God had commanded. And uh, so that's a short version of of uh they, they they just tried to make it a, a business and uh and and jesus threw them out but people were listening jesus had been teaching you go back through the gospel you'll find when jesus talked when jesus taught 
Uh, they, they talked about he, he, this one, he speaks with authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees. Well, wait a minute. Scribes and Pharisees were in a position of authority. They had the court. They're the ones that, that had their own courts. I mean, they're the ones that crucified Christ and Acts. They're the ones that took the, um, Peter and, and, and them, told them not to preach, and had the authority to, to beat them and, and make a public example of, of them to try to get them to stop preaching. And they had authority. But their speech didn't carry authority because they were manipulating it into their religious ideas. So with that control, and all false religion starts here, they were afraid of losing control. And we see this in this idea, in this story, in, in Mark 11 and verse 18. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. So people are starting to listen to Christ. They were afraid to Jesus. Now they thought Jesus was just a man. They didn't understand it includes the chief priests here. These are the men that followed the old law and followed everything laid out in the Old Testament and followed and went to God on behalf of the people. And, and that was their job. If anyone should have recognized Christ, it should have been these people. But they were so absorbed in their own pride that they were afraid of losing their hold on the people to, to direct the people that they feared Jesus they actually feared the pit. They feared losing what their pride had brought them. But it shows an example of these fears. Let's go over to Mark chapter 6. Back to Mark chapter 6. This is the account of John the Baptist preaching against Herod and, and, and their sins and, and later beheads them. But this is the storyline going on here. Mark chapter 6, number 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. A couple things about this idea of fear. Here it mentions he feared John. It wasn't so much as a personal fear of a man. It was he understood what John was saying was true. But with the whole story, you go back and read the counter, maybe you're familiar. Later here it ends up taking his head because he feared the people close to him more. But here it says he listened to John. He knew the preacher. He heard him gladly. But yeah, they still took his head because of what fear made him do. And uh, so there's, uh, there's that. I like this one, Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. By way of example, and then we'll talk more the, the, the practical side of dealing with this. The Jesus coming out of the, the grave. Jesus rose again, and it was shown... And people saw that for, uh, verse 4, Matthew 28, verse 4, And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as a de as dead men. And uh, when, when they saw what was going on, and uh, fear made them basically pass out. And uh, so fear can do all kinds of things. We see some of these accounts, some are bad fear and then mess up their whole decision-making process. Some just may incapacitated them. In other words, we see some examples here that fear can do some crazy things. 
first of all, we need to learn how to deal with fear. What do we do with fear? Uh, fear is somewhat, I would say, natural. I, I, I don't know that I like that word, but, but at some point, in some way, shape, or form, we've all experienced some element of fear. The issue isn't so much fear itself, it's how do we deal with it? There's several things throughout Scripture talking about temptation, for example. You can be tempted because a temptation is something Satan or a, a person might try to influence, and you can be tempted and not sin. How do you, it has to do with how you deal with things. You can be angry and not sin. It depends on how you deal with things. You can live, have some fear in your life and, and not sin and let it not get to you or mess up mentally or your heart or what would do that. It depends on how you deal with it. So the Bible has the answers on how do we deal with these issues. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, first of all, it starts with our salvation. We have to understand that because I'm saved, I am a child of God. Uh, that's why the, the doctrine of salvation is important, one, for someone's eternity to understand. But to have peace while we live here, you have to understand the Scripture. We've preached it before. I'm not going to elaborate on all those Scriptures today. We have to understand that God keeps His Word. If I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. That's it. I can't change that if I want to. And, and that security in Christ starts where peace, that starts the, the journey of having peace and joy and letting God work. Um, when we got saved, we got adopted. Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Notice, just like we saw earlier, it has to equate fear with bondage. We don't live in bondage because we're in Christ. Any bondage we have as a Christian is brought on by ourselves. Um, Paul uses a similar term dealing with a work salvation in some of his epistles um, and, and, and some different areas in the Bible. It, it equates that, that bondage. We bring bondage on ourselves. If we're saved, we don't live in bondage. Any bondage we have in our heart, mind, or life is because we did it. Or, or, or we're not following something along the Bible lines or something that God told us to do. If we're living in a bondage, it's because something's not right between me and God. And, and, and it doesn't make us a, a bad way. It makes us human. It doesn't mean I, I'm living evil necessarily at the moment or I'm wicked or sinning at the moment. Just means maybe I'm just not trusting God in that particular area as much as I should. That just means that, hey, something between me and God is not right. It might be as simple as I just need to ask God to forgive me and trust Him and go on. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean that it's a big catastrophe in my life and, and, and I'm ruined for the rest of my life because we say something is wrong. Um, it just means, hey, something is wrong. We need to look at it, get it fixed. And, uh, and look at it. So we have, we have not received... The spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Have a Father. In other words, God is my Father. God, God is where I get my strength from, but I'm not, I don't need to be in bondage to fear because of my salvation. Look at Romans, that same chapter, Romans 8, down in verse 37. As he continues some of this thought, 
Verse 37, Nay, and all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. It's amazing, some of the most defeated people I've ever witnessed are Christians. It's like, wait, wait. Um, we have some work to do. We need to learn this idea that God is really there for us and put our trust in God for my daily needs in my life. Because we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Um, God's love is a part of that, but God gave us the power. John 1, that when we accept Christ and believe on Christ, He gave us the power to become the sons of God. We have power in our relationship with God. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We need to understand our place with Christ. There's all kinds of things that, that come from some false teaching. And some mean well. They, they don't mean it. Then sometimes preachers just repeat things they were taught somewhere instead of studying it out and figuring it out. But, but, but they might mean well. But, but you, you, things like just we, we get so focused on, on the flesh and what we do in Christianity, even people that mean well, is like, no, we shouldn't sin. We need to be separate from the world. We need to look and act different. That, that's all part of it. Certainly. But doing something on the outside doesn't change what's on the inside. It needs to go the other way around. I need to work on the stuff on the inside, and it will show on the outside. And there's some outward things we can do and how we love people, treat people. God gave us a mind or whole studies throughout the Bible on how our mind works. And, 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 and certainly there's things we have choices in that have to do with our spiritual walk. But... Uh, um, it, it's not so. Don't focus so much on the flesh that we miss the spiritual part in my direct relationship with God. In First uh, John two and verse thirteen, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So we need to understand my place in God. I'm a child of God because I'm saved. God, if I give it to God, God gives me that strength. We can overcome the wicked one. But notice in this, it has a word. I'm not going there. I've thought on it in the past. But, but it says, And the word of God abideth in you. In other words, Jesus partly salvation first. But I'm living in this book. I, I, I'm getting in this book. I read it. I, I know it. And I apply it. I, I meditate on it. And, and uh, something daily. And... and and uh, just, just have something on my mind to think about with the Word of God. And when the world comes at us and, and, uh, and, 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 and tries to overwhelm us with fear of things going on around us, we can meditate on this book. I, 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 uh, I, I try to have a bird. I try to listen. At work, I, I'm allowed to some degree um, to have, have an earbud. Sometimes I'll just turn on the Bible, an audio Bible, and listen to books of the Bible. And uh, you don't realize how much. You have time and you're doing something and, and realize um, I did figure out a time of time to all of it. I figured out you could only takes an hour and a half to go through the book of Revelation. 
And uh, so that, that one I'm not sure after, but, but have something to meditate on. Um, that uh, we got um, some of the best uh, devotion book I ever saw, Crystal wrote, to have a word, to read a passage and think about a word all day from that verse. And give something to meditate on that that drive that gets you. Let the word of God abide in you. That means to live with. That doesn't mean, well, I'm a Christian. I'm living my life over here, and and on Sunday I'll grab my Bible and 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 uh, try to look at a church. Um, that's that's not. Let it abide in you. It needs to be part of you. God wants to dwell with you, and let the word of God be part of your life to that point that it actually abides with you. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, and the world tries to bombard us with all kinds of things, every issue out there we can imagine, and, and, and gets us to state in fear. Uh, that's, that's what a controlling... Politics, we see it all the way through world history and in all kinds of places, that in order to control people, they have to create fear. And, and, and uh, that's what the, it doesn't matter if it's a virus or a war, or they get, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It, it just means they have to create fear to keep you under control. And, and, and that's what they talk about the world, the world system here. And, and dear God, little children, and have overcome them, then referring to the world, not necessarily individual people, um, but we've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But understand, because I'm a child of God and I'm saved, I have Christ living in me. I have help from the Holy Spirit. I can go to God and like God, here the Holy Spirit's my comforter, the Holy Spirit's my teacher, the Holy Spirit's my intercessor, my, the Holy Spirit works on my behalf to help me have peace and have this mindset that I don't have to live in fear. Let's go to chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. If we're saved, we have, we overcome the world. Why do we? If we're saved, why could we possibly live in fear of what's going on in this world? It's we've we've overcome. You notice in the layout here, we're saved, but it mentions our faith. We'll come back to that thought in in just a moment. And uh, let's go back to First John four and verse eighteen. Back to chapter 1 John 4 and verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love passeth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. They're talking about our presence. We're saved. It's all this in 1 John. If I'm saved and I'm a child of God, I know God loves me. Not only the Bible says it over and over and over again. But he proved it by sending his only begotten son to die in our place so that we didn't have to go to hell for eternity and we could be adopted and have a relationship with God and be called the child of God. And God had proven over and over again his love for us. And he said, if you're talking about perfect love, it has to come from God. 
Um, God, the only way we can love anyone else properly is to let God's love work through us. Uh, we have to let this Word of God abide and look at God and what He did. The perfect love passes up to us. But notice here, earlier we saw it were, were, um, um, similar used, the word used is bondage, but uh, here it says fear hath torment. Fear will torment you. Fear, fear will just stay in your head and won't let it go unless we understand the Bible principle of how to live away from fear. And and go on. Uh, Hebrews in 13, Hebrews chapter 13. about our conversation, we used that recently, the word conversation has to do with our whole life, our character, our mannerism, it's not just what we say, it's more than that here, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so first of all, we could go live without fear, we'll learn quite God-like contentment. But look at the last lines of Jesus saying, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Um, if I'm saved, Jesus isn't going anywhere. That, that's why there's so much unrest in, the, in, the, in a, in a works-based teaching salvation that the Bible so against is because you can't have peace there. No, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. But verse 6 is the explanation. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. We can look and say, God helps me because I know he'll never leave me and won't forsake me. And we can say that boldly. And it says, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And uh, we, we don't live in fear because of what Christ did for us. And that based on faith as we saw, with that faith in God, how to, how to get away from fear or live without fear is based on living by faith. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Well, this is a great chapter. There's a whole list of people that live by faith. And we know the backdrop of that is almost every one of these people are mentioned they lived in the Old Testament. Faith is always connected to a, a level of obedience to God. And I just say that when you go back and read your story, you go through Hebrews 11, and you see things like, um, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith... He, and, and, on and on about faith, but you go back and read their account in the Old Testament, it doesn't say faith. It says they obey God. And, and, and that's a trust. Faith is the trusting God enough to obey because He's God, uh, because of who he, who he is. But verse 6 here, as an introduction, before it gives all the accounts and explanations and examples of faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Then it goes on to explain all these great people throughout the Bible that live by faith. Now, first, two things out of the verse, without faith it is impossible to please him. It doesn't say you'll get high, it says it's impossible. You must have faith to live for God. But also here it says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. Our faith in God isn't just belief. That's what makes a false religion false. They'll say they believe in God. But they'll believe in something that they're not even sure how to explain. And, and they got all their religious backgrounds or history or, 
or they might even say they believe God created the world. But there's a difference between this phrase here that says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is what? That he is. That he is God. That he's everything in the Bible. One of my favorite names of God is when God was talking to Moses in the, through the burning bush. They asked, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am. If we need to believe in God, we need to believe God is. It's God. He always existed. He never had a beginning. He is everything. He created the world by speaking. And, and so, a few weeks ago, we talked about the tongue and how dangerous our tongue can be in the book of James. And uh, we saw that. If you understand, the Bible says we're created in God's image. He was one of God's most powerful things. God spoke and created the world out of nothing. We're creating God's image that, that has something to do with the example of how powerful our language, our tongue can be. And, and, and uh, sometimes um, we, we act or speak just out of fear. And, and uh, sometimes we have fear of something and we'll say something to somebody just out of a reaction. Sometimes the root in, the inside, in, in us is a fear. And, uh, but we have to understand that we must believe that God is. Um, there's not always an explanation for everything God is. He's God. I'm His creation. It's okay that I don't understand everything about God. But I must believe that God is. God is, God is love. God's our creator. God one day will be my judge. But God, God, God is everything that I need. God is. Um, when, when I go looking for fear, part of fear is I have a fear of of maybe it's an anxiety about something, maybe it's a, a something, some uncertainty in a life, something, it doesn't matter what the fear is based on, but when I go to another person to try to fulfill or, or overcome that fear that only God can do, that's when I'm doing it wrong, I need to go to God and take all my care, cast, cast your cares on Him, where He cares for you. We're to take our burdens um, to God. We're, we're to look at it, but we must believe that God is. And without that kind of faith, it is impossible to please God. Same chapter, going to end verse 27. So Moses, this is, this is several verses here talking about Moses. That's who, who is being talked about. Verse 27, by faith... He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And there's several things about his faith and assurance, because you know Moses grew up, he grew up in the palace, he grew up like an Egyptian. And, and you know, then he decided one day, I'm a Hebrew, I'm going to live like him, I'll step, I'll put that aside. And, and live, and then you have when he came back and, and took the children of Israel out, is that by faith, because he believed God, he wasn't concerned about what the Pharaoh could do. And, and we see some other examples when Peter um, was arrested. Um, he, he, he didn't fear man. You read old history accounts of the martyrs and people that stood for the faith. There's a place that God gives so much peace. It doesn't matter what's going on in this world. We, we know how to have faith in God. So by faith, it says, not fear the wrath of the king. And uh, so he went out. Uh, Moses changed his life to serve God without fear of even the king, uh, probably the most powerful king in the world at that time. 
and he just believed God. Uh, let's show an another example of how important this kind of faith is. Mark chapter 4. But it's a story of uh, when Jesus was sleeping in the ship. Um, the, the waves were coming over. The ship was full. The disciples um, were legitimately scared. Their fear was real. As a, as a person, a human, saying the flash of the man, whatever. Uh, they had legitimate fear in, in this scenario. Um, it wasn't that fun. Jesus was with them. And, and there are two things. I, I have preached on that. But just at a point to go along. As, as he got it, then he woke Jesus up. And, and uh, he, he, he calmed the sea. And verse 40, it says, And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? So the first question I asked him, Why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? Um, now, I preached on this a while back, and uh, I'd have to go look up maybe in the recordings of, of which, of which date. I'd have to go find it. Um, but, but they just watch. If you read the previous chapters in these events, they just watch Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Then they're in the boat with Jesus and, and, and scared to death, even though Jesus is with them. That, that's part of this. But he said, why are you so fearful? That's the first question. Yeah, calm the storm. Jesus took care of it. And now Jesus looks at his disciples. So why are you so fearful? And it says, how is it that you have no faith? Remember, we just read, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus question that sometimes the phrase is used in the Bible. There, Jesus said, little faith, or, or they didn't have much faith, things like that. Here he looked at the Cyrus, and I was he had no faith. Um, that's a big statement. Because their fear so overwhelmed them, they forgot everything they saw Jesus do in the recent days and weeks. And Jesus is in the ship with them, and they were scared to death, even though they knew Jesus. And they knew enough to go wake him up. They knew if anyone could do anything, it was Jesus. They still went to Jesus, even in their fear. But, but they were a mess and couldn't think straight because fear overwhelmed them. Now that the storm is calm and Jesus questioned their faith, verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I believe they turned their fear into somewhat of a healthy fear, understanding what Jesus can do. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. One thing that drives fear, I'm not going to elaborate on this point much, but just as a thought, Sometimes when we look at what goes on around us, sometimes anger can, can get into our, our place and cause a fear of not knowing how to react and mess with our thinking process and our mind. And, and, and the Bible talks about that double-minded man or unstable things and not having discernment. Fear can do that. Fear, fear will get there to do that. Here it says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And, and, and it, I've heard pretty, all kinds of crazy stuff. It, this is not a verse saying that it's just, well, it's okay to be angry. That's not what's being said here. Um, it, what it says is, as human, we, we will get angry. Anger by itself is not necessarily sin, but at the same token, it isn't necessarily permission to be angry either. Um, but it said, when, when you're angry, it, said, it just says, hey, stop and, and take care of it. 
Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't live in it. Don't don't sleep. When, when, when you're sleeping and thinking about things in quiet, that's when the devil can get in your mind and start rehearsing and bringing up things that sometimes might not even be true at all because you start dwelling on it. Take care of this. Get it out before bed. But notice, along with that, to kind of prove that thought, verse 27, it says, Neither give place to the devil. So it says, be angry and sin not. Well, how do we not sin? Neither give place to the devil. Anger develops a fear and, and gets in your head, gets in your mind, gets in your heart, and it's where the devil can start getting in and 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 start getting things, man, that, oh, that person really did this, and that's it, and you start questioning things that you don't even know. Somebody will say or do something, and you start, you and we've all done it to, to somebody close or not close or somebody at work or family, whatever. And, and somebody will do something. They might not even realize it. We don't know what happened, but we start dwelling on it. Because we start thinking about it. We haven't talked to them. We haven't, haven't had a discussion with that person. And, and we start, and the devil gets in, and we sleep on it. And the devil starts saying, well, this is what they really meant. This is what they were really saying. And the devil starts telling us, well, you don't know their motives. And it might have been an accident out of pure ignorance, and, and the devil starts in, and you got days and days and weeks, and that's where the Bible talks about letting that root of bitterness in. It's like we start building things up that the other person doesn't even know you're thinking about it, and they might have even forgot about it, and, and would gladly apologize if they knew it. And some go with this, I'm just trying to create an example, when it's if you're angry, sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, is don't dwell on those things. Um, that's, that's where it gets to. We need to understand that we're, we sh- we're not to give place to the devil. If I'm saved, I'm a child of God, I have Christ living in me, I've overcome the evil one we read a while ago. I've overcome the world. Why are we giving a place for the devil to even enter into my mind if I'm an overcomer? If, I can over- if I've already overcome the evil one, why would I want to give him that space back? And, and, and dwelling on these things, that's why it says be angry and sin not. And in order to do that, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Forgiveness is a key to not live angry and fearful. We go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. Of course, this is um, Jesus speaking here. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness, we want God to forgive us. We want God to work in our life. We have, forgiveness is a key to our relationship with God. If I forgive somebody of something, it doesn't matter if they know it or accept it or receive it. I forgive for myself. I forgive so I can have a clean conscience. I forgive so my heart's clean. I forgive so God will forgive me. I forgive so I can be close to God. And and forgiveness is more about me than anybody else. And then that's good for that person maybe to know it so that maybe you can restore that relationship. But forgiveness is is about me and my relationship with God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We 
Jesus' conversation with, with Peter, first just before that, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And he's talking about your relationship with God and Christ and how to have that. Then Peter came to him, verse 21, and said, Lord, how oft shall I give my brother a sin against me? And I, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So seven times. And, and uh, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And uh, so Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is telling him to just keep forgiving but keep that mind open. Keep that. Keep your heart open. Keep that forgiveness has to be ongoing. It's amazing. We want God to forgive us our sins, and and even the Bible even tells us we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from un, unrighteousness. It, it's it's not. There's too many. Too all sides. Doesn't matter if it's a false doctrine about salvation. It doesn't matter if people are messing up that way or. People that are saved and trying to figure out how to live right. It seems like somewhere in the middle, we've lost the balance of understanding my salvation. When, when I teach or preach or have a conversation with somebody, there's the doctrine of salvation. This is how I get saved. Now that I'm saved, I'm a child of God. Now we learn how to live. Too many people put all the parts on how to live and be close to God back here with salvation. Either we think it's Paul's one and God, I'm saved, so that's it. Everything's taken care of. No, now I need to grow up in Christ. Um, There's way too many things involved in our Christian life and our relationship to God to place it with, or they put all of that into a condition of salvation, they're wrong, or, man, I got saved, man, I'm glad you got saved, but now you got some growing up to do. And 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 there's that we think well, well I got saved so this is taken care of, I got saved so I've been especially the forgiveness of sin thing I've seen. God does forgive us. When we got saved, my, my sins are covered. My sins are gone. I was justified just as if I've never done it. It's gone. Those are covered. And my future sins are covered in the sense of I'll have not be held accountable as far as my eternity. And that's what allowed me to be adopted by God. That does not mean I'm still not accountable for how I live. And that's where people confuse and say, no, my sins are covered, they're forgiven, it's all taken care of, and, and the rest of my life is good, and I'm just coasting through real heaven. That, that's not how it works. Now, my eternity is settled. In that sense, my sins are covered. They're taken care of. They'll not held to be held on my account when I get to heaven, stand before God, and, and that judgment seat comes, and I'll say, your name's in the book, I'm here, now, what about reward? What about how you live? What, what about your how did you represent Christ while you were on earth? Um, how about all these things? We're still going to be judged and held accountable for how we live. I just won't go to hell for it. And, and, and we have to understand that there's this growing process that as we go, so God needs, we need to come to God, as 1 John 1 9 says, often, daily, probably several times a day for most of us. And come to God and say, we'll confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, several times throughout Psalms, David talked to God and cleanse me, purge me from my sins. Um, find my secret sins, God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's that daily process of getting back to God. It's very important 
in this battle. Well, I want God to forgive me, which He said He's faithful and just to do. I need to forgive others. And, and that will help with my journey to not being in fear and not living in a, in a place where, where peace is taken from me. And get back to the peace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. While you're looking, here, here's an example. So this is 2 Corinthians. If you go back and study 1 Corinthians, you'll find this church had a whole lot of pride. Man, they were carnal. They were wicked. I mean, if you saw some of these people in 1 Corinthians in this particular church, you wouldn't even know they were saved by how some of them were living. And Paul wrote to them, first of all, that proves that salvation is not by words because of how Paul addressed it. But second of all, it shows that there's a way to get restored back to Christ. And, and, and Paul wrote this letter in 1 Corinthians and told them to straighten up. They did. They listened to Paul. So this is Paul's second letter. And then the chapter, first chapter, kind of, hey, you guys listen. It's good. 2 Corinthians takes a whole different tone. It, it tells man, I love you. We get you along. We're serving God together. It's a whole different lesson. And, but that's the tone here of what's going on. So in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. So he's thinking about the first letter he wrote and saying, I'm going to come and visit, but I don't want to come and visit with that on my mind. So I'm sending this letter is kind of what he's saying here. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I come I should have sorrow from them who I sought to who I ought to re, of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So he's saying he's just referencing, I don't want to come and visit you with that thought of what I wrote in the first letter on my on my mind, on your mind. I want to come and enjoy our time together. That's what 2 Corinthians is about. Just clear, clear in the air with that. Glad you guys listened. It's over with. Let's move on. This is how we can rejoice and serve God together. Um, so, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, referring to 1 Corinthians, not that you should be grieved, but yet that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. So he uh, wrote, wrote out of love, but we, we want to move on. But if any have a, have, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me. But in part, I may not overcharge you all. So he's saying there was some issues to deal with, but I know that didn't apply to everybody. You know, it's all good with with the whole congregation here. Sufficient to such a man is his punishment, which was inflicted of many. So that contrariwise, ye ought rather to forgive him. And comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. We're talking about, if you go back and read the events in 1 Corinthians, man, there were people sleeping around, there was incest, there was, I mean, backbite, they couldn't get along, there was division in the church, there was, there was all kinds of issues going on in 1 Corinthians. That he's straightening, he's saying, you know what, you need to forgive that person. And, and go on, and there's reason, here's the reason, let's perhaps such a one, talking about the one not forgiving, be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So if someone else, something happened that had no fault of my own, 
I need to forgive that person so that I don't get consumed, here it says, with sorrow. Um, I heard a definition of depression is anger turned inward. And I, I believe that I've not done a study to find that exact, but that does fit many things we see in the Bible about these issues. That, that we start dwelling on something, bitterness, anger, maybe an element of pride. So, and, and depression is everything turned inward. If they did this to me, I did it, this happened to me, and it becomes all about me, that's a dep- person living in depression. Forgiveness can help break free of that. That's one. There's other things to learn about peace and all that stuff. But forgiveness says that we need to forgive so that you don't get swallowed up with over much sorrow. In other words, you're not overwhelmed with sorrow of something that happened because you didn't forgive. So forgiveness is a key uh, to breaking the cycle of fear and, and heading toward this the life of peace with God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Well, let's back up a bit. Now, well, I'll read 32 first. And we'll, we'll go back and you know, the, the flow of everything will make more sense here. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So that's salvation, talking about our sin, and the big picture, that's where it all starts. God forgave us because of Christ. Now notice that, that phrase here. Now I know it's talking about salvation and Christ died on the cross and, 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 and our relationship in that regard, but but uh, it's in our forgiving as Christ said. In other words, God being a just God and being a holy God didn't have to forgive us. It's through the sacrifice of Christ that we have forgiveness. Um, but anyway, if we back up to verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't live in, and that says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get that stuff out, and then here's how to do it and think. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And uh, so it starts with forgiveness. Couple more verses, real quick, over to chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, a little bit over. Is a pastor talking about a family relationship, about some of a um, getting into talk about husband and wife. But verse twenty-one, just want to notice before it starts and tells wives how to live or husbands how to live. Verse twenty-one says, "Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God." That's where it has to start. The relationship with each other has to start in the fear of God. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. We want to have a sound mind. We want to be stable. We want to be um, leading to peace, and, and, and we have all that. But, but uh, peace, a sound mind, it starts with, uh, if it's living in fear, it's not from God. Uh, if you're struggling with fear, it's not of God. 
if you have two in your life that's not of God, God gives us power, love, a sound mind. We're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And uh, we know these things through the. We'll, we'll close with this uh, common verses, especially in the last recent times here, Philippians 4. And verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God promised, along with peace, He'll keep your hearts and minds. If we're living in a state of fear, we're, we're, God is not keeping our mind. But that's on us, not God. God keeps His promises. Then he tells us how to do it. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And uh, so, and uh, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Fear is the opposite of peace. We see from the Word of God, that's not our place. We're conquerors. We're overcomers. God wants to give us peace that passes all understanding. But we have to do it God's way to get there and not live in fear. With that, let's stand together. We'll close in prayer, but leave with the thought in your mind is like, is there, there fear? It might be subtle. It might just be an uncertainty about tomorrow. That's okay. God's, God's there to take care of us. Uh, God's there to help and, and give us that peace. And, 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 and sometimes living in fear could be little things. It doesn't have to be big things in the whole world. It just means that, hey, we're, we're letting something occupy our mind other than the peace of God and uh, our faith in God and trusting God for what we need. God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this time and your word. God, I pray that you'll help us, that we'll take this thought as we go live for you. God, we live in such a world of uncertainty in every area of life that if we don't learn to rely on you, God, we'll be looking at the world for those answers. But God, I pray that you'll help us that in all uncertainty that we'll just remember to have some faith in you and God, that you'll do your work and you'll keep your word and you keep your promises so that as we go live um, boldly for you as conquerors and overcomers of this world, God, that we can show others how great you really are. God, I pray that you'll help us. God, help us to have live in, in your word. God, that your word will abide in us this week. We'll live in peace and your joy. And God, help us as we go serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.